Welcome to another episode of Good Value by Antipodes. Indeed, I'm worried uh, we need uh, the gas storages to be filled. What I am interested in hearing more about is what this situation means for RWA. The only way out of that crisis is really to build out renewables. I think it doesn't help if we now um, penalize companies that currently have high CO2 emissions. It's Alison Savas. We've been talking about a looming energy crisis in Europe, but now it's safe to say the crisis is here. One of our portfolio holdings, German energy giant RWE, is right in the thick of it, faced with the challenge of helping to power a continent in the midst of a power crunch, while at the same time working towards ambitious decarbonisation targets. On this episode, I speak to RWE's CFO, Dr Michael Muller. It's an intriguing discussion that provides a front row seat into an issue that has wide-reaching implications for the global economy and markets. Welcome, Dr. Muller, and thank you for joining our podcast from RWE headquarters in Germany. Yeah, thank you, and uh, welcome also from my side. Let's get straight into it. Europe is in the middle of an unprecedented energy crisis, and by virtue of being one of Europe's biggest energy providers, RWE is right in the middle of this situation. Now, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's fair to say the wheels were really set in motion towards the end of 2021 when Europe faced a gas shortage due to the post-COVID rebound in economic activity. And we've now seen that exacerbated by the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine. The next few months look like the key pinch point as Europe needs to build sufficient gas stores to get through the winter. So are you worried about what's to come? Yeah, very good question. And uh, indeed, I'm worried. Uh, but let me maybe broaden the topic a little bit more because I wouldn't say it's just a topic of the next three months. Because if we look into the winter, what clearly is important, we need uh, the gas storages to be filled. And honestly, we are on a, on a good track to get there. But at the same time in the winter, you not only need the gas storage, we also need additional gas supply historically from Russia. Uh, so therefore, it will be very dependent on how much flows do we actually get from, from uh, Russia in those days. And obviously, it's also dependent on the weather, if it's going to be cold or not. Um, but if you take a step back and look at the balances, what you see is, yes, it's important to get the storages f f uh, filled up. But at the same time, we also now need to make sure that we get additional imports into Europe via LNG which Germany and, and Europe is currently trying to get, uh, increase the imports, for example, from Norway, which we are also doing. But if you do the balance, you will figure out that irrespectively of those measures, there will be the need for demands reduction, be it in the private sector or be it in the industry. So therefore, it will be a, a, a critical situation, not only into the winter, through the winter, but potentially also for, for the next winters to come. Because to be very clear, if you look at, at Europe, or especially Germany, import capacities will probably take until 25, 26, until they are ramped up in a way that they could uh, fully replace uh, Russian flows. And that ties in with our views internally at Antipodes. We think Europe can muddle through in terms of access to gas, but it will come at a cost, and, and we estimate this to be around 2 to 3% of GDP. And you called this out. We will see, and look, we're already seeing demand destruction, and policymakers 
will need to support households. But to continue with this point, what I am interested in hearing more about is what this situation means for RWE. Yeah, I mean, the situation is obviously very important for us. And um, I would take kind of different um, time horizons or look at different time horizons. I mean, what is very clear, the only way out of that crisis is really to build out renewables because the, the, the situation is caused by our high dependency on fossil fuels. Most of them are uh, quite some being imported from Russia. So the way out is really to grow renewables. And that is not a short-term task, that's a longer-term task. And obviously, and I guess we'll talk a little bit more about our strategy growing green, that is very much in line with our strategy. And what we currently see here is that um, the push for greening up the portfolio across the globe has even been accelerated. And that obviously is a strong support for our strategy. So that's the, the long-term focus. If you talk about the shorter-term focus, uh, I mean, uh, I would like to discuss in two directions. One is obviously we are now supporting, especially in Germany, but also in the Netherlands, the governments by bringing back or keeping uh, coal capacity. But to be very clear, we haven't changed our strategy. So our strategy is really to exit coal as quick as possible, be carbon neutral by 2040 and build out renewables. But we also feel at the same time there's something you can call it corporate. Uh, so it's a corporate responsibility you have for society. So we need to help. And that's what we're doing. So therefore, we probably will see more emissions in the earlier years, but hopefully with an acceleration in later years, that should bring down uh, carbon um, emissions in the later years. That's generation. The other piece, obviously, is around gas and LNG. And I mean, you probably know that we are also active in, in LNG and gas portfolio management. So what we're currently doing is supporting the German government in getting additional LNG into Europe. Um, so we supported the government by arranging two floating um, regasification units to be brought into, into Germany. Uh, we're close to taking an FID decision on a um, land-based LNG terminal. And we also have significantly increased the volumes of LNG being imported in, into Germany. And look, it's it's going to be no surprise to our, our listeners that decarbonisation and, and Europe's targets, and, and you said this yourself, you know, it's accelerating the move to reaching these targets, and that's having a huge influence on your business. And many energy companies across the developed world have chosen to shut down or minimise coal capacity. And with ESG front of mind, we can see why some would choose this path. Now, and you mentioned this, RWE still currently generates some electricity from lignite. And you also called out carbon neutral by 2040. So can you take us through, perhaps in a little bit more detail, how you are going to be transitioning to that goal? Yeah, of course. Um, let's start with the very end. So the end is very clear. We want to be carbon neutral. And I think that's not only for us. It also needs to be the, the whole economy that needs to be carbon neutral. But obviously, it will be quite some effort to get there. And especially in if you look at Germany, where we have uh, most of our, our lignite operations, the situation is very specific. Because in Germany, it is not only the energy transition away from coal, but we are also exiting nuclear. 
So different to other countries, we are exiting nuclear and coal. And that means that a significant chunk of generation is going away. And that means that we not only need to even quicker build out renewables, but we also have to cater for backup capacity to make sure that in hours when the wind is not blowing and the sun is not shining, there is sufficient supply. And that's why also in discussions we have with the politicians here, we always say you need to think from the very end. So how do we make sure that we have sufficient renewable capacity, that we have sufficient grid infrastructure to get the energy, for example, from the North Sea and the, and the Baltic Sea into the demand centers, which in, in Germany are typically more in the middle or in the south of the country. So we need a build out of the grid. And finally, we also need to make sure that we have sufficient backup capacity. So therefore, I mean, you know, in Germany, there is currently um, an agreement that we um, will exit coal, lignite by a coal and um, hot coal and lignite by 2038. And we have the clear ambition to bring that forward. But we can only bring it forward if at the same time we manage to accelerate those elements, building out renewables, enforcing grid infrastructure and ensuring backup capacity. And that's why we are in close ties with the government to make that sure. And if that happens, we are very confident that we actually can accelerate uh, also the coal exit in Germany. To get a bit more specific about this, could you give us a sense of how your energy mix, the composition of your energy mix looks today and how you think it may look in you know, three or four years time as you're making these investments? Um, I mean, the, the energy mix will only evolve over time. So to so give you an example, currently we are having about 10 gigawatt of lignite capacity. Uh, by the end of that decade, it will be 4 gigawatt of capacity. And then by, by, um, by 38, it will be zero. Um, obviously, if we manage to bring forward the a coal exit, even those four gigawatts in 2030 wouldn't be uh, that big anymore. Um, so there is a clear phase out of, of, of that generation. If you look at the overall portfolio, um, our aspiration is that um, more than 95 of our EBITDA comes from the um, renewable generation by 2030. So only a minor piece uh, will then be based on coal. And as I said, there may be kind of a residual generation just for security of supply, but there won't be many operating any hours anymore. Okay, so that's more than 95% of EBITDA by 2030 is from your renewables. Yeah. And look, I mean, that, that's that's such an interesting overview. And it's, it's an approach that we really agree with at Antipodes. Uh, you know, we take a forward-looking view to decarbonisation and ESG. And our view is that power utilities that are investing in renewables should not be screened out because these companies are some of the most important pivot points to decarbonising economies. And, and really, that's exactly how we think about RWE. Now, I think I know what your, your answer is going to be to this next question, but, but I certainly do want to hear your thoughts. Do you think an exclusionary approach to ESG is, is flawed? <laughs> As you anticipated, I have a very clear view on this one. Because, I mean, um, all I've been talking about comes along with large investments. So what we need for that energy transition is really companies that are willing to go on that path, are willing to take capital into their hands and do those investments. So it's about commitment, but it's then also about execution. So 
I think it doesn't help if we now um, penalize companies that currently have high CO2 emissions, because those are the companies we need to invest and we need to transform. And that's also more and more we are exactly like you said, talking to investors and they very much appreciate that. They appreciate the commitment, they appreciate the ambition we have, but they also appreciate the delivery so that we really execute on our targets and consistently build out renewables and reduce our CO2 emissions by that. Mm. Now let's turn our attention back to today. We know that energy prices are much higher than where they have been historically. And this will have improved the profitability of all your assets. But I'm particularly interested in hearing about how it's impacted the profitability of your and your renewable assets. Are you able to give us some insights here? Um, look, how do we market our assets? Um, I mean, we said that typically, at least in the next years, 70% uh, of, of the income from our renewables business is secured and only 30% is merchant. And when I talk about secured, these are either contract for difference where you have kind of fixed uh, feed-in tariffs uh, or other subsidy schemes uh, where basically your revenue is fixed. The remainder is a merchant position. And what we typically do is we hatch our position a few years ahead. So when you talk about this year, um, most of our generation is already hatched and therefore the prices are fixed. If you go out in the next years, then more and more positions will be open. And if we hatch those positions, we can also benefit from higher prices. Um, but at the same time, we also have to be a little bit careful because the prices we are currently seeing in the market are not really sustainable. Yeah. Uh, so what you see is also some scarcity in markets that is, is driving up prices. So um, I think there is clearly upside for sure, uh, with respect to prices, but you shouldn't just calculate uh, the current prices forwards and assume that for future incomes, uh, because not all of those prices can be hatched. Uh, and also I would expect some of those um, risk premiums that are currently priced in to come down. But taking a step back, what is very clear, that situation is definitely helping us. Yeah, because I mean, especially on the merchant or on the merchant contracts, there will be higher income and obviously that will also lead then to additional cash flow. And we also clearly stated in our half year numbers uh, that higher cash flow won't be used for dividends. It will be really used to invest more so that, that we're actually accelerating the build out of renewables. Even with 70% secured, we have a backdrop where demand is growing at a much faster pace and the energy market is tight. I think, say, 12 to 18 months ago, those longer-term PPAs were being signed at around €45 Euros per megawatt hour. Today, energy prices are much higher, so profitability of projects should be higher than in the past. Would you agree with this statement? Yes and no. I mean, first of all, there has been lots of discussions about profitability of renewable projects. And I think we have to be fair. If you look back maybe four or five years, there has been a time um, where the regime uh, allowed for excessive uh, profits that are not there anymore. So give you an example. Uh, leases for offshore wind parks were basically for free. And then a month after you got the lease, you could sell it for 100 billion, right? So 
that's not kind of a, a healthy uh, functioning market. That has changed. So therefore, I would say um, we now have a healthy competition. Therefore, margins have come down from what we maybe have seen historically, but I would say these are still healthy markets, uh, healthy margins where you can grow a business. Yeah? I think that's the first point. The second point, yes, you are right. I mean, uh, in the current uh, environment, um, you see higher prices on PPAs, which should also allow you uh, for more projects. At the same time, um, when you take an, an offshore wind farm, if you go into an auction, um, in the end, it's always a relative game. So you competing for a, a ride or for a lease and our competitors are basically in the same situation. So if on the one side uh, power prices or power price projection or PPA prices are higher, that would be the same for our competitors. The same is true with inflation. So yes, currently we see higher prices for, for equipment, so projects become more expensive, but that's also something our competitors are seeing. So therefore, for me, what is always important is how do we perform or how are we able to deliver a project relative to our peers? So if we are more competitive than our peers, then we can really make attractive uh, returns on the projects. Yeah? So therefore, long answer, I think, yes, obviously higher prices are definitely helping the industry, for sure. Um, but for me, in the longer run, it's more important that we are really competitive relative to our peers, because that puts us in a position uh, to run a profitable business. And I'm actually confident that we are in that position. And I guess the key point really is, is that the, the higher cash flows that you are seeing today, they they are being used to accelerate that investment in renewables. So it's just happening at a much faster pace than, yeah. than would otherwise have happened. Now, on our analysis, Europe needs to quadruple the pace of addition of renewable energy by the middle of this decade to meet its decarbonisation goals. So what does Europe need to do to achieve this? Uh, and also, could you could you go into discussing what the bottlenecks you see uh, towards achieving these goals? Because they, they're very aggressive. Indeed, they are. Uh, and uh, I mean, put it very simple, it's the not in my backyard issue. Yeah. So, so what we are facing is capital is there. As I said, also returns are attractive. So if I look at Germany, currently any project, uh, project that we bring forward for final investment decision, we almost take a positive goal, which means the projects are attractive. What we are lacking is really sufficient projects. So therefore, what is the bottleneck? The bottleneck starts with, do we have sufficient sites? Therefore, it's very important that the German government now, um, by law, enforce that um, 2 percent of the land in Germany needs to be assigned to renewables. Obviously, that's a target for 2032, so long-term target, but it's the right direction. So that's sites. The same is, is true for offshore. So now the German government started to assign additional spaces in the North Sea to be dedicated to offshore wind. Very important step. The next one is permitting. So how do we get permitting done? quickly and also done. The last one is then, once you have a permit, it can be uh, brought in front of court. So how long does it get to have a permit really in a safe position? 
So these are the element and then maybe talk about permitting. As I said, it's this not in my backyard. Everybody is complaining about this issue this year. And ultimately, we need to do some compromises between kind of private interests, climate protection, but also natural protection. So a very important topic is also standardization around natural protection checks. I mean, for sure. Natural protection is important and we need to care about this one. But what currently happens, there is an assessment on an individual basis on a municipal level. So just imagine those poor guys in the local authorities. They're just overwhelmed with what they need to do. So therefore, what we are currently pushing for is standardization of those approvals, bundling resources, and also adding resources to accelerate uh, the approval procedures. And the topics I just raised are not just German topics. I mean, go to France, uh, go to Poland, and even the US. I mean, probably apart from Texas, where it's not so much an issue, if you go more into the um, populated areas like JKM, you are facing similar issues. So therefore, it's space, it's permitting, and it's also then how you can then um, claim against uh, permits. These are the important uh, aspects. And what about supply chains? You know, how quickly and easily can supply chains adapt to, to deliver this, this higher volume? Uh, indeed, uh, supply chain is an issue. Um, I would split a little bit by technology. I mean, um, if you talk about solar, um, what I'm more concerned is, is really geopolitical um, tension we currently see between the US and, and China. Uh, and Hopefully, uh, that get res gets resolved to some uh, aspects. Therefore, we need to see where that is evolving. There are some short-term pressures, but on uh, photovoltaic modules, I'm less concerned. So I would assume that the, the supply chain, uh, once those geopolitical issues are uh, somehow eased, uh, would pick up and resolve that. Um, on wind, onshore and offshore, um, I mean, the big issue here is if you look into the uh, supplier industry, they are all facing severe issues. Uh, and this is, and that's what, what uh, concerns me. This is also partially homemade issues around managing complex projects. And that is something that needs to be resolved. So I, I would, I mean, obviously, <laughs> if we are procuring projects, we want to get cheap projects. Uh, but I also want to have a healthy industry because bear in mind, especially in offshore, the major driver is really innovation. Yeah? So when I do an economic calculation, it is not just the capex, it's also uh, what technology am I getting? So what's the yield? What's the size? So it's, it's a complex economic valuation. And then typically it's more important that you kind of get more efficient, bigger turbines than just the last euro um, on the capex. Yeah? So therefore, um, my concern is how do we make sure that this onshore and offshore wind industry is healthy, that they also invest in, into um, new technologies or improve their technology, and at the same time are able to scale up and to manage their um, supply chain um, uh, in a profitable way, but also in a healthy way. Uh, and I mean, the next question obviously is what are we doing in that respect? I mean, obviously we are strongly now engaging with the suppliers and also thinking about strategic partnerships. So how can we jointly find solutions to already prepare now for the situation we are foreseeing in the next two or three years? 
where there could be scarcity. And when do you think uh, Europe might actually be able to reach those required targets for annual renewable additions? How far off are we? I mean, I would say the numbers that are out are extremely ambitious. But I think you need ambitious goals to get moving. Yeah. So uh, would I b bet a bottle of champagne on those targets? No, for sure not. Yeah, but I'm I, am I happy with the targets? Yes, I am, because they're pointing in the right direction. And I think we just need to adjust on the way. But important is to get it moving now. And that's what we're currently seeing. Mm, absolutely. And, and Michael, are there any other challenges um, that you see within your business in terms of achieving your own goals, your own business goals? Well, as I said, supply chain is a, is a relevant one. Um, people is a is a topic. Yeah. Um, though I th I think well, what we are seeing is that we are actually in a good position because uh, Adli is viewed as as a as a important player in that arena, and especially people in the renewables industry, they also look for purpose, and they want to uh, create uh, or generate an impact so they like companies like us that are committed uh, to to move the green transition and that also have sufficient capital so that's helping us in recruiting people but honestly markets are still tight and you want to make sure without these big investment programs that you also get the right people and not just people so that's probably the second topic that uh, we need to watch out for Mm. Look, thank you for your time today, Michael, and, and sharing your, your insights with us. You certainly do have a front row seat to, to what's unfolding in, in Europe. Um, and RWE is, 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 you know, we certainly think at Antipodes is, is leading the way there. The, the development of Europe's green economy and, as I said, RWE's role here is, is something we're very interested in and something we're tracking very closely. So thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. That was Dr. Michael Muller, RWE's Chief Financial Officer. At Antipodes, we're of the view that Europe can muddle through this energy crisis, as suggested by Dr. Muller, by plugging the gap of lost Russian gas from a combination of more LNG imports and pipe gas from Norway. But we will see some demand destruction. European equities, however, today are priced for a much more severe outcome. In Dr. Muller's words, the situation does still remain critical over the next few years while LNG import capacity is ramped up to completely replace Russian flows. Europe's desire to decouple from Russia will accelerate the investment in renewables, which is a positive outcome, but we need corresponding investment in the grid and solutions around backup capacity for when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. By bringing back some of its lignite capacity, RWE has been able to help keep the lights on in Germany, so to speak, and plug some of the Russian gap. And RWE is using higher energy prices to accelerate its investment in renewables. And as a result, it expects to generate almost all of its EBITDA from renewables by the end of this decade. So what's the bottom line for investors? The market has flocked to concept stocks, pure play renewable and green technology businesses, and some with very limited proof of execution. While ignoring companies like RWE that are well-placed for the upcoming energy transition and are transitioning in a profitable way. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
Please subscribe to this podcast and you can also keep up to date with our investment insights on Twitter, LinkedIn or at antipodes.com. Please remember this content is general information only. It is not advice of any kind and doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, objectives or needs. You should seek professional advice before making any financial decisions.